It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You are Locked On Jazz. Your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. It is locked on Jazz for the 27th of September. Day one is in the books. Zach Lowe with an interesting observation. Kyrie with a flat earth quote? Not quite, but almost. And the impact of the new timeouts. Plus, get to know Howell Neto. And when you're done, you'll have a new favorite player. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA Insider. Thanks so much for tuning into the show today. You can catch it on iTunes, your Android. You can tell Alexa that you want to play Locked On Jazz, and you can tell OK Google. Oh, don't say it. She's right there. She heard me. Uh oh. Uh oh. You can tell Google to play Locked On Jazz as well. All right. Hope everyone's good today. Thanks very much for tuning in. Today's show brought to you by Grip6. Grip6 is a Utah-based belt company. Yes. And it is actually my if – you, if you go and look at any of the – I don't know if you can see it. Uh, if you go and look at utahjazz.com and you see the video of all of the interviews I did, I am wearing my Grip6 belt while that was going on. I'll tell you a little bit more about them, Grip6.com, and you can get a 20% discount uh, as well with the promo code LOCK20. All right, I uh, want to start off the show, first day of training camps in the books. I wrote a report at LockedOnJazz.net. It's available for you. You can check it out, LockedOnJazz.net. If you've got your favorite NFL team, check out that site as well. It's probably .com, and there's a daily podcast on that as well, as I'm sure you're um, well aware. Uh, so check out and make sure you see what's what's going on with all the sites now on the Lockdown Podcast Network, coupling up with FanRag Sports. Uh, the so uh, the first day, I think Quinn kind of sent the message. Uh, Donovan didn't quite grasp the message, but Quinn sent the message that that he wanted, which was this is going to be about defense. Uh, you know, if you look at the history of the NBA, if you're a top three elite defensive team you make the playoffs uh that's that that simple enough you make the playoffs if you're a top three defensive team uh scott skiles team a few years ago was number one defensively winning milwaukee and was um 30th in the league defensively and i think that was uh and that's you know and and that's the outlier in this uh, they were 30th offensively. They were number one uh, defensively, and I don't. I think they did not make the playoffs, uh, or at least they came awfully close to not making the playoffs. And I think they were 35 and 47 in in that 
uh, in that year. So uh, I think they might be the one. Uh, no, actually, they were fourth defensively and 30th offensively, and they didn't make the playoffs. Uh, so actually, they weren't they weren't top three. I was wrong. Uh, so there may not be a team that's top three that didn't make it. Uh, and, and it was clear. You know, they opened up on a on a defensive drill. They went to a defensive transition drill. That's that's where they spent most of the day uh, was working on defense. The other thing that is clear is a desire to do what we talked about yesterday, which was that a year ago the Jazz were used 21% of their possessions between 15 and 22 on the shot clock. And... The league average, or the the not even the league average, just the median team, really, was 30%. And that 21% was just too much of an outlier. And that the Jazz are really putting in a focus of trying to find uh, a way to increase the pace in which they play. Uh, and as Quinn said on media day, uh, the biggest impact is simply that they opened up almost with just with action, right? That after every single play or miss last year, they opened with action. And this year they're going to try to go otherwise. And, and to understand, you know, you take the median team between 15 and 18 on the shot clock last year. And, you know, so the the, the middle team. Um, you're not even taking. You're just taking the median team. I'm just grabbing that that median team, and you're at the Phoenix Suns. They they were at 16 percent of their possessions. The high in the league was 20 percent, and the low in the league was Minnesota at 12, but the Jazz at 12.8 or 13 percent. And then you add in that was from 15 to 18. Then then you go even a little earlier to 18 through 22. The top teams are at 19%, so they're at 39%. The middle of the pack comes in at about 13 and a half, so you end up with 20 or 30% in the middle, and then you go to the Jazz, who were who used it the least, at 8%. And, and so the, the gap is the top teams are using 39% of their possessions. The Jazz are using 21, and the middle's 30. Somewhere... The Jazz would like to swing into the middle of that pencil. And that's where Donovan Mitchell said yesterday to the media, you know, high-tempo basketball. I think there's a push to try to get some early paint breaks and action with without waiting for the pick and roll. Push ahead, break it down, see what you can do. And it'll be interesting to see how these guys do that. Do we have, you know, I don't know if we have the personnel for that. And I don't know necessarily if we have guys that are going to do that particularly well. Um, one, I, I don't know if that's who Rodney is. Uh, I have, Rubio's a, a really poor finisher. Uh, Cephalosha probably, Joe probably not. So it'll be curious to see, maybe Jarebko is a runner. Not not particularly aware of that. Um I'm curious. This is curious to see of whether or not uh, this happens, and so that was day one uh, of of practice. So I got to close the door. Um, Zach Lowe, sorry, 
I, I was just, a, I was going to, I had a comment or two about some of the world stuff and have just decided not to do it. Um, nothing, nothing too outrageous. I'll do it. We'll do it one day this week. All right. Rather than me getting in trouble, let, let's, let's talk about our friends at grip6.com. This has been neat for me because these guys reached out to me. I held some conversations with them. We talked about what we thought we could do. And they then sent me two of their belts, and they got me. Like, it's what I wear for my belt now. Uh, in fact, if you look at the utahjazz.com video, as I said, I was, I was wearing it. So let me, let me tell you a little bit about their local company, Utah. Um, BJ Minson is the owner and the inventor of the Grip 6 belt. Well, how are you an inventor of a belt? Well, it's the only belt that has no holes and no belt flap hanging out. Low profile, ultra lightweight, which makes it incredibly comfortable. Is one of our guys, think Derek Trujillo, emailed me. If you're a heavy dude, this is a game changer for you. I won't say names, but you should get this. No, grips, grip6.com. So the buckles and straps are interchangeable, so you can customize how it wears. And, and so it comes, I don't know if I can explain it, right. it comes from the outside, goes through the hole, and then it hits their patent pending locking mechanism and holds tight all day. That is true. It never slips. It's cool. Go to the website. The first one up is the Ninja Belt. Very basic. That black lightweight with a black belt. Um, you can get, if you're a golfer or want to do something more dramatic, they have a blue one. They have a green one. They have a big red one. You can change the colors. They have five, six different colors of the uh, of what your belt strap can look like. The buckles are 20 bucks. The straps are 15 And then use the promo code LOCK20, and you get 20% off. If you scan all the way down, then they've got some cool stuff. I like the stickly. I'm going to have to get that. Uh, the Ruskin's nice also. I really like the stickly. I have the carbon fiber dark matter, which is a little bit more expensive, uh, but it's really sweet. They have two, one that's a little more business-like and a graphite one. Check it out. Great selection. They've got some packages for you as well. Utah company, BJ and the crew have really, in their mind, built the best belt that's out there. Uh, and they're, that's their goal. Un- great warranties on it. So if it doesn't work, they'll take care of it, but that's not going to happen. It's just... Terrific. Check it out. It is called Grip6.com, and with the promo code LOCK20, you can get yourself a really well-priced, pretty awesome belt with some great versatility. Uh, Zach Lowe and Kevin Arnovitz did a great podcast. One, they're kind of the most interesting teams they that they don't understand, and the Jazz were one of them. And I would agree with them. Um, as I've said, I, I've never, I'm not entirely sure the value of defense, and I'm not entirely sure the value of depth. And that's those are the two things the Jazz have: is defense and depth. Um, you know, our shooting could be could be really horrendous, and so I think it's going to be really curious <laughs> to watch us. It was interesting because Arnovitz in the podcast talks about. Uh, Dante Exum is the player he's most intrigued, and Zach didn't even have that on this list. Zach did have a note that I was unaware of that is pretty tremendous, and that is that all the favors and Gobert numbers we talk about, favors and Gobert together, have Gordon Hayward on the floor. And now all but 60 of them had Gordon Hayward on the floor last year. Now, when Gordon was off the floor in those 60 minutes, the Jazz were even better, but pretty I would guess that's a pretty false pretense. You know, the Jazz, when Favors and Gobert on the floor together in 96.5, when they were on the floor, 480 of those 480 minutes are with Gordon, 60 or without. So 
really hard to tell uh, what you know what that means, uh, and and it will be interesting to see then how successful Favors and Gobert are without Gordon. Uh, the other one that's interesting is they were even slower without Gordon at ninety. Uh, 89.7 possessions. I mean, we could be really incredibly slow, which then, you know, also is if you got these two bigs on and you're trying to run early in the action, you know, they're probably not involved at that point. But I thought that was a great point by Zach. I didn't know that. That so much of that is Gordon related. Speaking of Gordon, pretty funny quote yesterday. I had some fun with it on Twitter. By Kyrie Irving, who just has, you know, got weird quotes. Um, On Gordon Hayward, he's going to run the floor, be aggressive, play defense, offensive rebound, attack the defensive glass, do everything. Yeah, none of that mentioned being the second fiddle offensively to Kyrie. Run the floor, be aggressive, play defense, offensive rebound, attack the glass, and do everything. The other irony is that if he has a weakness, it's probably running the floor because he was overburdened with a workload. And offensive rebounding was two point three percent. I mean, that, he he was he was not an offensive rebounder. Uh, he can do everything, but it's just funny that Kyrie. You have a feeling that Kyrie doesn't know Gordon's game at all. Gordon gets slighted pretty easily too, so uh, it'll be curious to see there. I've I've had a bunch of people who've asked me uh, again on the Joe Ingles. Media day questions, comments about Gordon. I, I, I don't. I, you know, I'm not going to create something out of it. I, Gordon, ha- I, I, I don't think Gordon's reached out to people. I think that's. I think Gordon left, and Gordon left. Like I don't think he's reached out to people. Um, you know, like we, not you know. So I, I, I just I don't think he's reached out to people, and I don't think he you know made a tremendous amount of phone calls on that day either. So. You can. I think we got to let it go, honestly. Uh, and and I, you know, and I'm kind of hoping. I, I know it's not going to happen. I, I'm kind of hoping by what is it? March when he when they come into town. It's late, isn't it? Yeah, March 28th that we've moved on, but I'm pretty certain we won't have. Uh, and I get it. I I want to talk about the timeouts this year in the NBA. So for those who do not know, there's a bunch of changes in the timeouts this year. It used to be, this is this is kind of geeky stuff, um, it used to be that in the whenever a whistle blew in the first quarter, under six minutes and under three minutes, that there was a timeout. And in the second quarter, it was under nine minutes, under six minutes, and under three minutes. They have eliminated the under nine-minute mandatory timeout in the second and fourth quarters. So we're down to eight mandatory timeouts. The other one that's worth noting is that each timeout is a minute longer. So that, okay. Then the next one is that each team will have seven timeouts per game with no restrictions Per half. So there's a lot of interesting things to this. 
So the mandatory timeouts will take four of your seven timeouts, in theory. Or, if I'm reading this right, you could go use your timeout back-to-back, and we don't have a third one. So in other words, you start the game poorly, you call timeout. That classifies as the the 11-minute mark. That's the under seven. Five minutes later, you're not playing well again. You call another timeout. That counts as the under three. You've lost two of your seven timeouts, and we just play. Each team can only enter the fourth quarter with four timeouts. So if you just took the mandatory and had it assigned to you, that's that's where you'll be is is four time. But there's there's actually no reason to do that. You're better off calling one of the timeouts yourself, using a timeout, and then it will get dropped to four anyway. So you might even make sure you go to with three. The other team then hasn't used all of their timeouts probably, and you go down to four. Each team will be limited to a maximum of two what are called team timeouts, and these are only a minute. After the three-minute mark of the fourth quarter or or the secondary mandatory timeout. So it's the later of the three-minute mark or the second mandatory timeout. Okay? So at that moment, you only have two team timeouts left. You used to have one full 220s. The last three minutes of the fourth quarter may have up to, but never exceeding, five timeout stoppages. So in other words, you have the mandatory under three, and each team calls two, and that's it. So that'll be much better for game flow. Here's what's really interesting on that. In all likelihood, teams are going to want to save one timeout to advance the ball in case you're down one late. When you when you're down one late, you want you can call timeout and move the ball forward to get that play run in the half court, which in some way means that we're down to one timeout per team in the final three minutes. So less substituting, less positional substitution, unless you're fouling. Teams are going to have to be smart and understand how they're playing and what they do, and understand their coaches, continuity. Early in the year, well-coached teams should be in good shape. Now, what about game flow? So, the first one I just talked about that's really interesting is that it used to be that the Jazz took a timeout, and then if that was their assigned timeout, that's what it counted for that, under that mandatory, and then the next timeout would be counted to the Bulls. I'm assuming the Jazz are playing the Bulls in this scenario. Now... You just have seven timeouts a game. You know you can't take more than four of them into the fourth quarter, and you really know you can't take more than two of them into the final three minutes. So there's a real answer that you probably could use. Make sure you only go the fourth quarter with three of them, and you control the timeouts and when you call them much more than your opponent. You can call both the mandatory timeouts in the same quarter. From a Jazz standpoint, what would be really interesting is if Quinn 
decide to ever do that and make a game play long to tie your teams out at altitude. The other thing is you are now guaranteed at least five minutes of action to open every quarter before the mandatory timeout unless you force the coach to use his timeout, which may be fine. Maybe you force them. That's fine. It's not a big – other teams have to be smart about it. But in regards to the idea of the Jazz running a little bit more and pushing, really coming out and pushing to open quarters, to me, seems most important. You've got five minutes of action before the seven-minute timeout. Then let's say you call the timeout at 640. Now the next timeout, you never really have more than about three and a half minutes of action without a timeout because you'll have a mandatory at three. The other one that it gets interesting is the timeouts are much longer. The local timeouts, I guess last year were were two fifteen. I thought they were about one thirty. They're saying they were two fifteen. They're now two forty five. So there's thirty seconds more time on every timeout. They're three fifteen on national TV games. So the Warriors are playing like three minutes of rest every time they have a timeout. There's some coaching and manipulation here that you can get a real edge as a coach and how you use it. And I think it's going to be better for game flow. I don't think it's going to make the game faster because the timeout's a little longer. But I and there's actually more inventory than there was. But I think that it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how it plays. No more twenty second timeouts, just team timeouts. Those are a minute fifteen. Uh, quarter breaks are the exact same length as they were. Regular timeouts are thirty seconds longer. Halftime is a minute longer. Uh, the other one that will be interesting, by the way, is game ops. For game operations, they'll have to actually really keep the arena buzzing for an extra minute, which will be be curious to see. So I, I think that'll have a huge impact. I'm going to probably write something up about, you know, how do you manipulate it? What do you do? Uh, what are the approaches? But I thought that it was worth talking about. All right, let's get to know Howell Neto. Really just a wonderful young man and uh, very, very interesting to talk to. And... Uh, here it is for you. Let's get to know how will Neto. If you took me back to your hometown, what would you show me? What would, what would be the things you'd show me in your hometown? Uh, I think my hometown, it's uh, people there are great. So I'll take you uh, to know all my friends because I think that's one thing I, I appreciate it from, from where I'm from. Uh, take you for uh, good views. Uh, my, my friend has a, a really nice house but up in the mountain that you have a great view and we always do barbecues there so that's uh that's pretty much what i think what i what what i would uh show you there and what are the views of views of the city so all belo horizonte that's where i'm, I'm i grew up uh, most of the time and uh you can see the whole city and we just sit there the whole day on a sunday that when nobody works so we just sit there all day eat barbecue and uh, and uh, talk and, uh, and just spend some time together. That's what uh, what I do when I'm there. Did you? What was your brothers? How many brothers and sisters did you have? What was the birth order in your family? I got two brothers. Yeah, uh, 
one just got a job in New, New Mexico, so he's moving there. Uh, and then my old, oldest brother, he lives in New Zealand, so we are three guys. And what was it like? Was it always competing, or what was it like? Still competing. Uh, we every time we play video games, every time we we do something that uh, has this competitive side, we always like kind of fight each other, talk uh, talk to 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 each other, and it's it's pretty fun. I think uh, that's that what happens when you have three basketball players in the in the family. Both my bro, my two brothers played ba- basketball growing up, so uh, we are pretty competitive. What's the first time you beat your older brother? Uh, I think I was like. 14 or 15 he was 17 and that's when I start uh like playing with his team and sometimes I was playing more time than him and he was kind of <laughs> he was kind of my dad was the coach so we went home and and <laughs> and it was it was kind of it was kind of crazy we were having dinner nobody talked to each other and it was a weird situation but <laughs> but uh yeah that was a uh, that was the, the the time when I started playing more than him and, and playing more the, than the professional and when you, if you took me back to your childhood room, what did it look like? I used to sleep with my uh, youngest brother, so we had this small TV and a lot of pictures on the on the wall about basketball players. I think uh, Alan Iverson, Kobe Bryant, J- Michael Jordan, all those pictures on the wall in uh, my small bed and my brother's bed. <laughs> uh, and you, if I remember correctly, I'll ask you, who was the player you always wanted to be when you were in the backyard? I watched a lot of Steve Nash, and uh, he used to play with Barbosa, so I started watching the Phoenix Suns because of Barbosa, and then uh, uh, I really liked uh, Steve Nash, the way he played. What was your first nickname? Uh, Raulzinho, because it's little Raul. My my dad's name is Raul, so uh, that was that's still my nickname in Brazil. Uh, why do you wear the uniform number 25? It was the number left. Uh, I got here, and... I used to wear number eight in Spain. I think we had a player using that that number, and then uh, I just got a 25 because he was there. NBA is all about downtime. There's so much just empty time. What is your favorite thing to do in your downtime? Uh, I'm usually tired, so I don't like going out a lot, going uh, on hikings or being outside. So uh, I just watch a lot of movies, a lot of uh, TV shows. Uh, play some video games, spend time talking with my family in the, on the phone, and 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 go out to dinner. I like uh, going to nice nice place nice places to eat, and that's pretty much what I do when I'm not playing. What's your favorite road restaurant? My favorite road restaurant. Uh, there's a Brazilian place in New York that I found out my first year there that it's it's really good and bring me back back home. So. That's probably my favorite one. Memphis is pretty good. We always go there with the team. They have this barbecue, and, and it, it, it's pretty good, too. Central but I'll, barbecue? Yeah, but I'll take uh, uh, that one in New York. What is your guilty pleasure? Do you know what that phrase means? Like, mm. the thing you kind of, when you treat yourself or you know, like, you know, all right, I'm not going to be an NBA player for a second. I deserve this. Or what is your, do you have a food or a... Yeah, I think it's candies. I love uh, all these gummy bears and all those kind of candies, and 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 sometimes I just like we have a lot of on the on the plane and in 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 the practice facility. But I try to not eat a lot. But sometimes it's just uh, I'll say, okay, I have a I had a good game or I had a good practice. I will say I can I can give me a little gift. 
All right, let's go. I, there's two really interesting books, one called Grit by Angela Duckworth, the other's Talent Code by Daniel Coyle about elite performance. What made you, in the process of your career, believe you were going to make it? How come you believed you were going to make it? You know, it was kind of uh, when I was a kid, 12, 13 years old, I had some crazy things on my mind that I was going to be an NBA player and I was going to be a basketball player. And uh, I remember talking to my friends and they were like, oh, are you crazy or are you cocky or uh, that's, that's never going to happen. So I always had that on my mind. Uh, I never know if it was going to be truth, but I always had that on my mind and I always believed it. Uh, I remember like telling my dad if he could put a basketball uh, board in my backyard so uh, I could practice and I would pay him back when I got money from basketball and, and like all those kind of things that kids like believe it and uh, but I always believed in myself and, and I'm here now. What gave you that hope do you think? I think I was always uh, I had talent and I was always a little better than, than my other teammates when I was when I was a kid I played a lot of sports. I played soccer. I played volleyball. I played a lot of sports, and I always pretty good uh, uh, on those kind of sports. And 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 I don't know. I just believed it, and I knew that if I worked hard, I could make it. And 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 I worked hard. I still work hard now, and and that's how that's how I am. Do you think back about when you were a kid? How were you different than the other kids? Like, what did you maybe do that they weren't willing to do, or where were the moments where you separated yourself? I, I was really passionate about the game and I was really competitive. Uh, I remember sometimes too competitive. I remember going to a, to school and we had like those games in school and I was yelling to all my teammates because they, they wouldn't do whatever I want to do and they, they do, wouldn't care because they were just kids. They wouldn't care if they, lo- they lose or win. And I remember everybody hated me. Everybody on my team hated me. And I had my dad had to come one day to me and say, hey, you're going to go there and apologize your coach apologize your teammates apologize everybody because you're being a a, a bad guy and you're just telling like bad things to all their other teammates and and i was really competitive that's why i did it i I never meant to uh, uh insult somebody or just be a bad guy but uh sometimes you have to if you're competitive and you want to win you gotta be that guy so uh I did that when I was young, and, and, and I got better when I get older. In the book, uh, Grit, they talk about being gritty as kind of two things. One of them is perseverance. We'll talk about that in a second. The other is to resist complacency. Do you, I don't know if you know the English word complacency. So, you know, whatever it takes to improve. When did you first kind of see that in yourself, or how did you avoid that complacency? Uh, I have great. I think I have great playing. I have great working, and uh, and I think that's the way you're gonna get on top. Even if you're really talented, if you don't work and if you don't have great, you're not gonna you're not gonna be the best of of you. And uh, and I put that on my mind, not only on basketball and everything. If you're gonna do something for school, if you're gonna do a, a a paper for school or whatever you're doing, if you don't give everything of you, it's not it's not worth it. It's just you're just losing time. And uh, I put that on when I'm playing. I put that on when I'm working. And uh, and I just I think that's the way I got here, and I'm here today. In Talent Code, they talk about deliberate practice. And he talks about acute practice. So he actually talks about the great Brazilian soccer players who are all from this kind of ghetto where they don't have soccer fields, but they play this some game in the alley. You're nodding, so maybe you know what I'm talking about. In the alleyway with these little balls, and so that when they then get out on the soccer field, 
they're so much more skilled with their feet because they have all this space. So it's this, he called it acute practice or deliberate yeah. practice, things that are just, you know, so minute or pushing you beyond yourself. What would be your examples of that in your career? I had that growing up because uh, the club that I was work, that I was playing basketball, we didn't have a lot of money. So all the balls we had was kind of old. It was kind of really, really bad. The court wasn't even like this court that we play right here. It was kind of like playing in the street. So uh, I remember every time like people were people were asking for better balls. Like I want to get that ball because probably we had two nice balls and then two nice basketballs and then six or eight other trash basketballs. So I would after my coach told me that I would always take the bad basketball because if you work dribble on that basketball if you get a better basketball you're going to be better so that's my example of that and i think he i think it it, it works i think it's true you know it's interesting also on that kind of do you, i don't know if you know about this but in baseball there's a bunch of the shortstops are all from this small town the dominican and they talk about it's because all the fields are terrible so that when they then go out and play on good fields it's so they easy feel, for them yeah it's the same feel, thing they feel great they feel great because they're used to a bad thing and then once you got a nice thing you're going to feel great and you're going to give you like motivation to 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 be better what does perseverance mean to you and what would be an example in your life of perseverance uh i think me i think being a 6-1 guy uh white guy coming from brazil uh where everybody plays soccer and heard from a lot of people that you're not gonna make it and you're not gonna make it and you just try try work hard every day and i'm here so i think that's uh that's one example uh of there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of like soccer players that a lot of uh, people from my country that are coming from there they they say they're not gonna make it. Uh, I think all the NBA guys playing in the league, the Brazilian NBA guys, are example of that too. There's a quote, few quotes I like. One of them is that superlative performance is really a confluence of a dozen small skills, each learned into a larger habit. What would be your example as a basketball player of the tiny, small skills that you've mastered that allow you to play? I think everything in basketball is so many details that sometimes it's like if you're shooting that way, one little movement that you do, that one little change that you do in your shot is going to make you like have more shots and have a better percentage. So I think everything is one uh, in the weight room. If you're doing something wrong, you might get hurt or you might... Uh, I don't know, not get better as as if you're doing the, the the right thing. I think basketball it's all about about details and these small things that you gotta you gotta improve it every day. What gets you out every day? What makes you come back when you're tired? And it's eleven days in a row. What brings you back out the next day? I think uh, my family. I think I'm where everybody from my family wanted to be. Uh, my dad always dreamed about being a. a, a, a NBA player, my two brothers always dream about being a professional player and I'm here, I have this opportunity and uh, I just put everything I have for them and, and, and for me, I think uh, I have the opportunity, I don't want to I don't want to waste it, I don't want to lose that opportunity so every time I wake up sometimes it's tough because you have a lot of practice, you have a lot of games sometimes we go through like 14, 15 days without one day off so it's it's pretty hard but those days that you feel bad or you feel tired you just gotta think that you got opportunity that probably 100,000 people wanted to be in your spot Alright, that was awesome now let's do the fun stuff quickly Yeah, Travels with, Travels with Charlie was a John Steinbeck book you live Travels with Rudy what's it like traveling with Rudy? It's fun, 
it's kind of stressful sometimes because he want to do all his time he want to do all whatever like he wants to do he want to choose the, all the spots we're going so we kind of just gotta relax and let him let him uh, uh, decide what we're doing more when I was in France when I was in Brazil I was kind of trying to like tell him where to go but he still uh, wanted to go like whatever <laughs> whatever he wanted to go so uh, but it's pretty fun you know he's a he's a nice guy I've been hanging out with him for uh, for those two years that I'm here and uh, and uh, it was pretty fun I got to know his his uh, his hometown I got to know his his country he came back to Brazil he came down to Brazil so I showed him a little bit of Brazil so it was fun you're 6'1", so if you want to go out, you can probably hide. If you're with Rudy, you can't hide. He's 7'2", people see him. What, what's that? What's it like tra- being with a 7-footer? You know, it's kind of crazy because a lot of people know him, but a lot of people doesn't know him. They just ask for pictures or they just ask for something because he's 7'1". So people are coming like, can I take a picture? And, and he's like, yeah, so you think they know him. And then after the picture, he's like, what's your name? What do you do? What do you play? And, and and I'm like, come on, man. Why are you taking a picture with someone that you don't even know who it is? So it's uh, it's it's nice. You have, like, everything has the bad things and the, the good things. But that's one of the things that I, I kind of got tired of it. Not because they ask for pictures, but because they don't know who, who he is and they still want to wanna get a piece of that. But uh, it's fun, you know. It's, uh, it's nice getting... Uh, to know people and getting to uh, to see how many people like follow basketball more in Brazil a lot of people like follow basketball we went to the uh, NBA store and there was like thousand people outside waiting for us just for like a picture and autograph and and people were waiting for five hours in the, in the line it was uh, one of the craziest thing I've ever seen and uh, and a lot of people were there for three four hours and they didn't even get a, a uh, autograph or pictures because we had to go. We were there. We supposed to be there for one hour, and we were there for almost two. And there is still like two hundred people waiting for autograph. So it's pretty. It's pretty fun. Uh, it's pretty cool. Do you ever have funny experiences where they don't realize you play also when you're with Rudy? They just think you're hanging out with them. Yeah, they just think I'm. Uh, I don't know. His assistant or his his friend or whatever. Uh, but I'm I'm good with it. I'm sometimes I just wanna uh, walk around like a like a normal normal person, and I don't want nobody to to bother me. So that's good that I'm only six one and not seven one. <laughs> Pleasure talking with you, my friend. Yeah. Hi guys, this is Josh Lloyd, host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. The NBA is back, so that means that fantasy basketball is back in one form or another. We've got daily fantasy, but there's also some fantasy leagues with the resumption of play with these eight regular season games in Orlando, and Locked On Fantasy Basketball is going to have you covered. It's not just for fantasy basketball, though, because we recap all of the games across the NBA, so if you're looking for a broad overview of the action across the league every day, Locked On Fantasy Basketball is the podcast for you.